0: Good evening. Welcome to SogCast number 32. My name is John Strykermeyer. I'll be your host tonight. And I'm joined by our outstanding technician from Jocko Productions, Kerry Halton. Kerry, welcome to the show. Thank you for everything. And as always, we thank Jocko Willink and his team for being a sponsor on the SogCast uh, interviews and our podcasts as we capture stories from the men who fought in Sog during the eight-year Secret war conducted during the war in South Vietnam. As the team waited for helicopters from Company A, the Comancheros, the 101st Aviation, 101st Airborne Division had bad weather and they would start to close in on the ridge line. The first chopper started to lift off Wesley, Robinson, and two brew team members. The four men jumped from the ladder they had started to climb. The helicopter crew had to cut loose the ladder. Because the mountainous air was thin, a second chopper had a difficult time lifting off of the ridgeline, actually dragging the four team members through the jungle. Before clearing it, a third chopper lifted out, the three remaining brew team members carrying no more men due to the weather. As darkness closed in, Chief Warren also tuned. George P. Berg returned to the LZ to pick up the three remaining Green Berets. Helicopter crew chief Spec 4, Walter Dempsey, and door gunner Gary L. Johnson lowered three stable extraction harness rigs attached to ropes that were more than 100 feet long to the trio of soldiers on the ground. Stable harness rigs were designed by Special Forces during the war for extraction from the jungle when no landing zones were available. In the event a soldier was shot or knocked unconscious, the stable rigs were designed to keep a soldier connected to the extraction rope. They hooked into the stable rigs as Doc Watson gave the chopper crew chief the liftoff signal. Berg began moving off of the LZ when NVA gunfire slammed into the aircraft. Dempsey and Johnson returned furious gunfire from their M60 machine guns. Hernandez was lifted to approximately 30 to 40 feet off the ground when his stable rig snagged on a tree, snapping the rope that held him. The Green Beret fell to the ground, knocked unconscious. He didn't hear NVA Triple A anti-aircraft artillery fire slammed into the UAE, literally knocking it out of the sky. The ill-fated, ill-fated helicopter traveled approximately 600 feet before it made an ugly U-turn, flipped over and crashed into the side of a mountain, bursting into flames, while also slamming Doc Watson, baby Jesus Lloyd, into the side of the cliff killing them instantly. Miraculously, Sammy Hernandez survived the fall. When he regained consciousness, he heard NVA soldiers and trackers searching for the men of RT Intruder. The stealthy jungle fighter moved silently into thick vegetation and hid for what would be a long night. When darkness fell, Hernandez emerged briefly from his hiding place, to slam his dislocated left shoulder into a tree in order to pop the shoulder bone back into the joint. Many years later, Hernandez simply said, that really hurt. Believe me, I saw stars. On February 19th, R.T. Habu, led by 1-0 Staff Sergeant Danzer, was inserted into the target to recover the dead bodies, presuming that Hernandez was KIA at the time. Other Green Berets on that mission included Cliff Newman, Staff Sergeant James Woodham, a medic, SFC Jimmy Horton, Sergeant Lemuel McLaughlin, and SFC Charles Wesley, who had been lifted out of the target the previous day. Wesley volunteered for the mission and put one of the six bodies, bags, and extra ammo in his rucksack. This expanded RT habu with running a bright light to recover the dead soldiers from the tragic crash. And today, I'm honored to have with us a guest, Cliff Newman, who was on that bright light, who at that time we first met at CCN around 1970 or early early 1970 or late 69. I remember meeting you in the bar. <laughs> and Cliff joins us today. Cliff, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, so Good to be here. It's uh, such
0: a pleasure to have you here, and you're, you've got uh, several stories that are part of our SOG uh, legendary history and, um, and that mission is one that has many unique spins off spin-offs from it. And um, on that, that mission, that target area, again, they had um, prior with uh, RT intruder was inserted, they were on the west of the Ashaw Valley, and then another recon team was inserted on the east of the Ashaw because they're anticipating a major uh, operation with the South Vietnamese Army. And that's when they're inserted, RT and intruder ran into a world of shit. And that's why they got distracted, and then we had that horrific helicopter crash. And so a bright light in SOG is a recon team or a team designed to go in for one purpose, to recover the dead bodies. And in this case, you carry minimal food, minimal water, and like we said, body bags, and many much ammunition. So on February 19th, 1971, you're inserted without much incident?
1: Well, the insertion went went uh, without, without any problems whatsoever. We uh, back up a little bit. There's a the total of sure. three teams, and this whole thing was in support of uh, an operation called Lamson 719. Oh, my God. Which was the uh, first incursion of U.S. forces and Vietnamese counterparts into Laos. Uh, They used uh, SOG recon teams uh, because of their experience, professionalism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't know the the thinking of the powers to be, but uh, there was RT Intruder. uh, As you said, on the west side of the Asha, RT Python and another team further south that was from a different uh, c and I'm not sure what, which one it was. Uh, however, the original plan was for Arctic Intruders to set up, a, set up a, a relay site, a radio relay site. Uh, they, they knew from the onset that it was going to be a dangerous mission. Uh, they went in, they were hit by larger enemy force and uh, the team leader docked Watson, in a call for an extraction, and that's when everything started uh, turning south, so to speak. Um, uh, I I was at the compound at CCN in Da Nang, and I had stopped running recon. My final mission was uh, a combat halo insertion that Sammy Hernandez was on, and Sammy and I became very good friends. Uh, we traveled back to the States together after our HALO mission. And uh, when Sammy came up to CCN after Delta Project shut down, I, I took him on his first operation. You really? Know, yeah. Uh, so I was unique <laughs> in that way in that uh, I was a staff sergeant, but I was a one zero was my team. Sure. Uh, Sammy was a, uh, a sergeant first class. And we also took a uh, a young lieutenant by the name of uh, Fred Wunderlich. Fred? Fred Winslow. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, a brief side note on that operation was we were on a, our mission was to a, uh, for a prisoner snatch mission, but we set up on a, a little karst hill formation overlooking the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, to reconnoiter, and we were surrounded instantly, but we were high and dry. And that evening, we actually observed a, we presume a Russian-made bulldozer doing road work on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And early the next morning, I ascertained where it went off into the wood line, and we called an airstrike and actually got the thing. All right. And a major major <laughs> uh, depot, some court, sort or another. Anyway, so Sam and I became friends, and we were back at the camp. I was uh, running the little recon club we had there at CCN.
0: Sure. The one back in the recon company
1: area. Yeah. Yes, sir. And... Uh, <laughs> We had set up a Halo school down in Longton, and I was wanting to go down there, but Sergeant Major Rodriguez wanted me to stay up at CCN for some reason. But anyway, I was, I was, I'd was—I ran recon for about a year and a half at that time, and I, I was through. I was done. Oh, yeah. AO was saturated. Uh, but when Sammy, when word came back that uh, RT Intruder was, uh, was shot down and, and there were... Three uh, missing, presumed killed in action, from us plus the crew. Uh, I was kind of devastated, and uh, having a little, little uh, uh, experience, if you will, I went up to the tactical operations center, the top, Sure. and said, you know, as Sammy was my one of my good friends, I said I'd like to go into bright light, and I was readily accepted. Sure. So off we go.
0: An experienced one zero is always
1: welcome on any yeah, bright light. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of. <laughs> so we went in, and I went in, and uh, Danzer was the one zero of the team. Uh, Lem McGlathern was an E five sergeant. He was the one one, the assistant team leader. But Archie Habu was a very experienced team, and they were well trained. And oh yeah, and Danzer was not highly experienced, but was a good a good one zero and. Uh, Minnie Mac McLaughlin, as we called him, was was a, a good soldier, too. Jimmy Horton had a, a lot of experience. In fact, he was a former one zero of R.T. Habu. Uh, Charles Wesley was an experienced—this is his third time in that AO, and had actually uh, been in the uh, Hamburger Hill incident with the 101st Airborne Division. Really? Yeah. He was a highly— I remember him. —highly experienced combat sure. veteran. Sadly, cancer got him later on. Um, Jim Woodham, Doc Woodham, was uh, one of t- two Woodham brothers, twins. They're both special forces medics. They're both rangers. No. Neither one of them had to be there because they were twin brothers in serving <laughs> in a combat role, uh, but they were there. Uh, wow. Jim, by the way, retired lieutenant colonel is a doctor, uh, medical uh, doctor now. And I think his brother's an ophthalmologist, I believe. I'm not sure. So anyway, we uh, we go to the launch site at Fubai.
0: Is that Camp Bigel?
1: It, yeah. Off we go, and we 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 went into the same LZ, which is normally a no-no. But there was no other area to land that was habitable to land a helicopter in anywhere. I mean, this was a high elevation. Sure. Uh, it was hill 1528, which is 1500 or 1528 meters high, which is over 3,000 feet. Um, and it's in the Ashaw Valley. It's, it's overlooking the Ashaw, Yeah, yeah I had, uh, Laos is one side, Vietnam. Vietnam's on the other side. We're overlooking the Ashaw Valley. <coughs> Excuse me. So they went into the, or we went into the original LZ, which was in Laos, and then trekked back along the border to where the crash site was and uh, we did locate the crash site and uh, and you know, everyone had perished excuse me uh, we found the uh, the four member crew the remains of the four member crew and we began to uh, put put what remains we could in the body bags pick up any uh, any paperwork, anything we found it was not burned, Right. we, we, we put in a body bag. Uh, at that altitude, in that locale, weather comes in every day around 1500, around three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh yeah. And uh, there was a package coming to get us, but could not come in because of the weather. I mean, it was socked in. So we, uh, the team leader, Danzer had to uh, opted to RON so we moved to a location he picked and uh, again I was a strap hanger so I wasn't paying a lot I was just following along I was sure I was there to find my friend Sammy <laughs> and uh, and en uh, route uh, we located the bodies of Watson and Lloyd uh, who uh, who uh, had uh, uh, Jim would have verified that they were obviously deceased so our plan was to come back and get them the next day. How far down the hill were the bodies? When you do you remember how far it's, down it was? Or? I, I do oh. not. It, okay. It's hard to say. But you had to
0: move them up to the top in the body Well bags. We were
1: we were moving. We were moving. It uh, would have been uh, southwest up toward higher ground. Sure. When we were kind of them.
0: Man, that's gruesome duty.
1: Oh, tough, tough oh terrain. My God, I can't imagine tough terrain. Um so we, that's, that was a plan, which was not the only plan available. Uh, we uh, set up an RON site and um, it was a uh, oval shaped site. I was at the top, on the uphill side of the site. and I uh, set out uh, two claymores and Jimmy Horton and Danger were in the middle of the perimeter with the team, uh, with with Doc Woodham, with the team more or less spread around and and Wesley at the bottom. Um, About 7 a.m. the next morning, I heard movement alerted the rest of the team and we could see bushes moving sure you know, grass bushes and it moving. wasn't the wind and it wasn't the wind <laughs> uh, about that time they started raining grenades on us and then followed with small arm fire uh, I fired my, my two uh, claymores and uh, turned and started down the hill where the team I was obviously retrograding down the hill and encountered uh, Jimmy Horton who's one of these grenades had taken the lower part of his, his leg pretty much off. Whoa. So I grabbed him in one hand and what was left of his foot in the other hand. <laughs> and uh, kept going down the hill. We fell over a, a, pretty, about a pretty steep embankment, maybe 15 feet-ish, uh, and came to the area where the rest of the team is set up. At that time, and I, as it happened, and they were— just getting organized and you know and, and returning fire where they could, where they thought they should. Uh, the one zero Danzer uh, apparently one of his grenades went off right next to him, and he was he was he was uh, stunned obviously. And he had a uh, Swedish K that he was carrying, uh, and he had the handset of a radio in his hand, trying to call. Covey, call support. Yeah, call help. But it was not attached to anything. His rucksack was gone with the radio. Really? Yeah, yeah. And he, he was he was obviously in, 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 shocked by the concussion. Sure. And uh, but he was trying. I mean, he was uh, he was trying. And and I had to be close to him as I am from you right here, and figured, somebody better do something quick. And I, uh, always carried a survival radio that I pulled out and came up on guard for... Good his, old ERK 10 Oh, yeah. Where was it was a 90 been ERK 10 I don't remember. I came up on guard and uh, yeah. made contact with Covey, and, and we just started calling in the world, and for the next four and a half hours or so, we shut it out with the NVA unit. Don't know the exact size. We we're estimating maybe a company at the most.
0: But here's another thing, too. When you mentioned it earlier about how... There had been intense enemy anti-aircraft. You had a note that uh, you would give provide to me earlier. And at that time, in February of 71, the Ashaw Valley had never been hotter. Captured documents revealed that the NVA had moved 11 counter-recon companies there to reinforce LZ watchers, trackers, and dogs, rear security units, and infantry battalions, all there to get SOG recon. And then additionally, they had two anti-aircraft battalions defending the valley, with one located at each end. The Ashall diversion was initially assigned to the 2,000-man-strong 1st Brigade 101st Airborne. However, the specter of heavily U.S. losses forced the planners to reconsider the Airborne Brigade. But at that point, those kind of assets, plus you had 11 counter-recon companies at that point in time, and their sole job was when they heard or thought you all were in the AO, and we'll come back and talk more about what you and your team did uh, two months earlier in an effort to thwart some of that activity with a different tactic. But just, just, I wanted to get that flavor in, that some of those facts about what, the aircraft we're up against.
1: Yeah, I uh, I, I, I learned later on talking one of my trips back to a uh, intel guy. and know he was an older gentleman. It was uh, actually a uh, civilian intel guy in, in SAG headquarters in uh, Saigon, um, and he still lives there. He has homes in the U.S. and homes in, in Vietnam, and he said there were like two two. Two brigades or two battalions—I don't remember exactly what he said. One on the Laotian side, one on the Vietnamese side, just for counter-recon operations. Wow! And that AO, and that—that that was the most important AO to the North Vietnamese. That's where the Ho Chi Minh Trail started going into South Vietnam. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, so that was a very important area, and they didn't—you know—they they couldn't afford to lose it.
0: Sure. And uh, you know, just for our new listeners, I mean. In the early part of the Secret War, which went from 64 to 72, uh, we had FOB3 at Quezon, FOB1 was at Fubai, and then, of course, FOB2 was Kontum further south, and then Da Nang, FOB4. And, you know, 1, 3, and 4, strictly the AO was Laos, the DMZ, and on occasions we had teams that went north. We had Tim Schaff uh, on the earlier podcast interview talked about going into North Vietnam in 1968 for a target. So that's some of the missions, and that's the trail. That's why the Ashaw was such a hot. And of course, in the early part of the war, 64, or 65, we had three Green Beret A-camps in the Ashaw, all of which were wiped out by 1966. The NBA just came down and pushed them out. Absolutely. Tough area. Very tough. And we lost a lot of good men and teams down there, not to mention aircraft. And uh, um, again, so you're now there. You're on the ground. The firefight goes on for four and a half hours. During that time, was that when you lost a covey?
1: We lost a covey at the onset before we were hit, actually. And I, I, my memory is a little vague. Yeah, but we, we may have lost. We, we, I think we lost a covey the afternoon before, and we were at the the crash site.
0: Okay. Yeah, because we had... Um, and that was Woodstock. Correct. I I don't keep the name straight as well as you do, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's called Simon's Woodstock.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, I forgot, uh, just as a sidebar, Billy Wall was up with one of the helicopter. I said, I don't know if he was in a covey or a helicopter, but he saw a panel from Sammy, and they are able to pull Sammy out, so at least you had a little bit of good news in the one middle of,
1: the, of, one of, the one of One of the coveys or one of the slow movers... Saw the panel and uh, reported back to wherever that they may have been an American down. They weren't sure. They thought at first it might have been a Vietnamese. Sure. Uh, Sammy is a little dark complexion. We were, of course, in sterile uniforms. Yeah. Uh, and Billy Waugh went out with a, on a helicopter, and, uh, and sure enough, it was Sammy. And he wanted to drop a rope to him and a string, a stable rig. And Sam gave him the old uh, uh, the French hello there and said, I'm not going to ever get down one of those things again.
0: After what he had just been through. So he landed picked him up yeah. and got
1: him out. Wow.
0: And then also, at that same time, um, a Covey Cessna O2 twin engine light observation plane flown by Air Force 1st Lieutenant James Woodstock Hole. With veteran recon man SFC Jose Fernandez. And with our Cubbies, we always had the Air Force pilot, and then we had a Cubby Rider, just for our listeners or listeners for the first time. And a Cubby Rider would be a Green Bray who served in SOG, had time on the ground, and that was one of the w- unique ways and methods of SOG to improve combo between the men on the ground, under fire, with air assets and TAC air at that time. And that's why. Uh, Sergeant First Class Fernandez was flying, and that aircraft was shot down. To add to all the other pandemonium, and then of course the other recon team across the valley had also been engaged by the enemy. So there's a lot going on in the Ashaw Valley that day, and uh, the. Uh, Getting back to where you left off for the extraction, then at some point you're engaged for four and a half hours. Before I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
1: god! Uh, how much detail do you want me to go in? Whatever can... you got,
0: that's why we're here.
1: Well, because uh, you kept hoarding alive. Yeah, well, well, Jimmy, uh, Jim Woodham kept hoarding alive. I, I, I yeah, carried him down a hill. What was and, your
0: MOS? Were you a camo or? or no, I was
1: an intel guy. I was on oh, I. Oh, okay, was a, very good. Uh, another eleven, one one Foxtrot. Foxtrot, Fox that Trun, time. Yes. Which is now the 18 Foxtrot. <laughs> but uh, uh, so, you know, we had Jimmy in our new perimeter um, with the assistance of Mack and uh, and Horton and, of course, Wesley. We were returning fire where it came from. And because of the terrain, most of the fire was from our direct front, which is up the hill. Uh, it was very very steep terrain, and we had some fire from our flanks. But there was nowhere, nowhere to go other than jumping over cliffs and whatever down, you know? Yep. So we were there. And you had no ropes to do any repelling. No, huh? no. <laughs> So uh, at that time, Covey came up, that was uh, uh, Tom Yarborough, and you know, I talked to him extensively. He called in. He had three layers of aircraft. Uh, one Cobras from the 101st. They came in, and I worked close air support. Brought in uh, uh, VNAV Vietnamese Air Force H uh, thirty uh, C uh, A one E's Sky Raiders.
0: They were pretty good too, weren't the,
1: they? The, the slowman. Oh, they're tremendous. The South great. Vietnamese version oh, yeah. of the Sky Raiders were good. Yep. Yes, sir. I'm talking to this uh, pilot, and he's speaking in slow, very distinct English, identifying himself and his wingman and his ordnance. And he said, "I have Mark 25s." And I said, "Yeah, give me some of those." And I don't know really what Mark 25 was. A <laughs> 250-pound bomb. went off. You know, about two of them went right next to us. You know, and, and I blew trees and mountain yards and rocks. <laughs> and you got
0: you had a little elevation off the ground with that yeah, impact. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and then <laughs> the third layer was fast movers that worked the Ridge line where the where the enemy was and where they came from. Right, and uh, that's probably one of the main factors that saved us is that that air support. Absolutely. Um. And we brought we brought in a, a Huey to get Horton out. And Wesley and I moved somewhat out in the open to sit up, get smoke, and direct the Huey in. This guy came in, and I sent one of the mountain yards down to grab the rope and bring it back up. Yeah. And he hooked himself to the rope, to facilitate getting up the hill. And so doing a, um, an RPG with apparently a variable time fuse went off right next to a helicopter. No. Wounded the co-pilot, wounded the door gunner. That guy did a one eighty and took off and jerked that mount charge right out. guy. <laughs> His eyes are big as saucers. <laughs> oh, you know, he's no. there, cl- trying to cl- The Next thing you know, he's he's up in the air, going away.
0: Yeah, he was there for the fight. He wa- He hadn't planned on leaving. So anyway, oh, we, uh,
1: we uh, that, was, that was that, and we, we kept uh, kept the uh, the battle going. <clears throat> And Archie Hobble being a well-trained team, were tremendous. I mean, you you hear of uh, teams uh, splitting when uh, the made, going got tough. The going got tough. Not them. And here we had six Brew Mountain Yards going toe to toe with the NVA company, and they kicked their ass. And, no kidding. Uh, oh, Yeah. So I I credit I credit, uh, I, I credit Danzer and Mac having a very well-trained team. Yeah, because
0: eventually Mac became the one zero later on. Then yeah. he had some other team member with a high degree of notoriety. We don't even <laughs> mention Nick's name here. No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shooting. So, But his
1: book is Few, and It's a good one, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. um, at that time, the firing had died down a little bit and through the wonders of... Uh, Airborne Communication, uh, there was a, uh, a SAR rescue bird, a CH, an HH-53 coming in, a, a Jolly Green Giant. Sure,
0: the biggest of the big.
1: And this guy comes chugging in there, and they they're, they're, they have twin miniguns mounted. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And we're on the side of a hill, and this guy pulls in like he's going to park for a while, and miniguns are going. He lowers a jungle penetrator that has a cable, which is a device. These things are designed primarily for bringing down pilots out of, right. out, out of triple canopy. And these have steel cables as a, as cable instead of rope. Yeah.
0: And they come down, right, quickly wi- drop to the ground,
1: on a seat winch. unfolds. Seats unfold. Sit down, snap in. The ride up is a little slower than the, ride, the rope the cable coming down. Tell me about it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still kind of Running things at this time, yeah, and uh, we got Horton up, we got the team up, and I kept uh, Danzer and Woodham and myself for the last, which was a mistake because uh, as we cleared the tree line, our combined weight caused the winch to uh, break. No, yeah, and crashed back to the ground, and I. How I,
0: far away off the ground were you when that thing broke loose? Twenty thirty feet. <sighs> I missed that part of the story. Oh yeah,
1: that's a little.
0: Yes, it's there.
1: Anyway, um, <laughs> so I, I unhooked and stayed in the ground by myself, and they got them out, and then they dropped it down and got me out. So, what's life like in the Assaw Valley all by yourself? Scary. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't long. It wasn't long. It was about a about maybe a ninety minute ninety minute about a ninety second lapse time frame but you're being shot at 90 seconds can, can be a, uh, a lifetime
0: yeah particularly when your uh, adrenaline's flowing because every second feels like an hour but so, you're there by yourself they finally got the uh, winch down to you and on the way out any more
1: did they rush the LZ and attempt to get you and the helicopter uh, if they did I don't know I, I don't think so because the yeah. fast motors are still working mini guns are working and I spent about my last two magazines working. <laughs> wow! Right down yeah. to the last yeah. magazine. And then, um, and yeah, then one, one of the, one of the mountain yards had a CS round <laughs> for an M seventy nine. Yeah. And he popped that sucker off the tailgate, so we had CS gas down there. <laughs> <laughs> a little farewell present. I, I got got on board, went and you know, tapped the pilot in the shoulder and says. Let's, let's go get a cold one. And he said, yeah. all right, and off we go. No kidding. Ironically, which has come out later and fairly recently, we were never debriefed. What? We were never debriefed. <laughs> okay. We flew in, dropped, stopped at an evac hospital, and I can't tell you where, and, and got Horton and maybe a couple of wounded yards off, I, but definitely Horton, and then they flew on into Da Nang, and they landed right in the helipad in the CCN compound. And
0: well, the Air Force was extra courteous that day. Sometimes oh, yeah. they wouldn't go that far, but oh, it the, could have yeah. been the
1: Waipu by
0: uh, airstrip. They had the uh, hospital facility there. It was.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I could guess, but I, I don't know. No, that's okay. I do know they took. I do know they flew us into Da Nang. Sure, that's what counts. Because we got off the helicopter, dropped my— Stuff in the hooch and went to the bar, <laughs> <laughs> and I was never debriefed. What? Never debriefed. Oh my god! Yes, yeah, so remember, Eustace V was kind of in charge. His fifth group was gone by this time, you know. So we were Task Force One Alpha, Alpha Echo Advisory Element. Yes. And nobody knew who the hell we were.
0: <laughs> Even you guys didn't know who you were. But the missions kept coming.
1: Well, they they kinda of stopped not long after that. I mean there's no and I you know, I mean why run recon when everybody knows what's in there?
0: Well, it could be so too. Yeah. I know that uh <laughs> well in in some case like with Ken Boer, when he was done with Idaho, Idaho then ran some missions where the zero one was the one zero. And uh there, and that was part of the Vietnamization process. I don't know how many other teams were able to do that, but still, that was as the war was cranking down. The effort was to get our mission less combat. Let the South Vietnamese fight for their country if they wanted to.
1: When we had the Halo School going, we trained some Vietnamese-led teams. No kidding. And so and they when- all—they all broke had sore ankles and. Sore- <laughs> <laughs> they weren't going to do that because <laughs> everybody was using still the
0: old was it the old t-10s back then well <laughs> or by me. then did they have the mc1 at least
1: no no we uh um, i'm not sure what they used later on yeah we on our uh insert in our program we modified t-10s into a seven gore tu configuration okay and we, we had our little school set up we had the pair of commanders and we had a Mark II pair of commanders, which then were state-of-the-art. Wow, okay. And uh, But as far as the teams going in, uh, I, I don't.
0: Well, that's right. It's like I, a secondary thought on my part, just looking back. Yeah. But here, too, um, there was one other – well, so your personal history here um, – so this is 71. How much longer did you stay in the Army at that point?
1: Well, I, uh, uh, this was in uh, February of 71, March, April. Whew. I rotated out of the country. I wanted to go down to Longton and, and, and teach Halo, but uh, <laughs> Sir <Old> Rodriguez <laughs> will let me go. <laughs> so I, and so my, my time came, and I said, I'm going home. So I came home and they sent me back to, I wanted to go to Okinawa the first group but they sent me back to the 10th group of Fort Devens oh the dreaded 10th yeah yeah so I went back to Fort Devens and I was there just maybe shy of a year before I managed to get away <laughs> <laughs> got to the first group in Okinawa where I actually got on my first A team and I was really happy yeah I was a intel sergeant on A-222
2: okay yeah
1: and it uh, has some great missions. And I went to scuba school there and uh, combat dive course. Excuse me. Snuck some jumps in with the Halo committee. Yeah. Got to keep that jump <laughs> status alive. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, in, in November of 72, well, one, one mission we ran, my team and a few others, we went in the Philippines. It shows you what Special Forces does oh, yeah, we spent a month in the Philippines giving mass inoculations for cholera and typhoid. No kidding, a- after a typhoon came in and wiped out uh, a good portion of the Papanga province. Oh, so we never hear that. Nah, we're combat soldiers one day and humanitarians the next day. So, outstanding part of the SF tradition. So, in late in November of 72. Uh, my team and a couple others were sent back to Vietnam with the what they call the FANC projects, the Forces Army Republic of Kemmer. Yes. It was a joint operation. The Australians were involved, and they had some permanent party SF guys there.
0: Was that part of that uh, B-36 program that had been going well, on yeah, for a few it, years well, earlier?
1: Well, it, 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 the camp was where B-36 was. That's At okay. long, long high. right. And there, there was another camp right down the road of Phuketui, and uh, we were training Cambodians. We, 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 my team and another, we had a group of a hundred, like school teachers, prof- professional people, not run-of-the-mill Cambos. Yeah, yeah. And these guys were going to form the uh, nucleus of the special force in the Cambodian army, of which, of course, it is no more. Right. And while on a training mission, ironically, I stepped on a booby trap oh. and uh, shattered my foot. And I was medevaced into Saigon and from there to Okinawa and had all kinds of issues and eventually lost my whole whole foot and uh, uh, was medically retired. And that retirement came through in April of 1973.
0: Wow, Okay. But c- that didn't stop you from jumping. You nope. were still able to... Well, I, I, it, <laughs> it did
1: for about, for a few years. hmm And, and uh, it went through a tough, tough period. I can't imagine. Yeah, uh, finally got back into it. And uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it.
0: Well, then, um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Then um, you, Wesley, and Mac were contacted by the then JTFFA, and in February 2003, you went back. And um, that, I forget what that acronym is, Joint Task Force? Full Accounting. Full Accounting, okay. Which, over time, they had many different names for that, but that agency or the agencies involved?
1: It's now the DPAA. Which is the
0: DOD's Department of POW, MIA Accounting Agency.
1: Defense. Defense. POW, uh, uh, MIA, POW Accounting Agency. And that agency was uh, consolidated
0: a few years back, and uh, they brought together three different offices to make one in an effort to theoretically improve their efforts to go back for rmya men america's missing in action and on that first mission you went back the mission ended without locating because you were going back for the six americans from that initial
1: mission where you had everybody in the body bags and what happened on that one well to back up a little bit sure, please uh i was contacted by then the uh, jc uh jcrc joint Casualty recovery commission uh, that that morphed into the JTFFA, and this is uh, like <clears throat> uh, and I like 1998 ish, and I I was asked if I would meet with the brother by the name of, of, of the Walt Dempsey, who was one of the door gunners, right, and his name was Dave Dempsey, and I said I'd be happy to meet with him, and I did. And he uh, sharp guy. He uh, he facto tried to go back himself, and, and he he, he, wrote, he wrote a little thing called uh, "The Missing Men of RT Intruder." And he never did. He had very little assistance, and he yeah, you know, I mean, he wouldn't. He didn't have the the wherewithal to climb mountains and sure. et, et cetera, et cetera. But he gave it a shot. <clears throat> uh, from that. Uh, Wes and Mac got involved, and we actually did go to Hawaii and meet up with the JTFF team there. And we're going to go in, launch, and the team leader at that time was a uh, Marine, uh, Marine Gunny Sergeant, nice guy, sharp guy, uh, and it was scrubbed. The VME scrubbed it. So you had flown to South Vietnam, or Vietnam, no? No? We got as far as Hawaii. No kidding. The the headquarters, where where the headquarters of the then JTFFA was. Right. Uh,
2: And what year was that, do you think? That
1: was probably 98, 99. Right. Prior to that, we were on TAB, but a helicopter crashed in Vietnam. Oh, the traffic tragic crash we lost like the, uh, 17 or 19 yeah it oh, was well God. the, the uh, command structure from the JTFA were killed and that, that put everything on hold sure and in 2003 <clears throat> we finally got authorization to, to go into country and there, there was uh, cooperation was was nothing like it is today um, with, the, with the with the Vietnamese. Between the Laotians and the Vietnamese. Sure.
0: And this is now, we're already talking, 31 years after the mission. And the, you are trying to go back. Yes, sir.
1: We had coordinates where the crash site was. Sure, you were on the ground. And we had coordinates taken later on and uh, everything. So we knew where it was. And where it was was going to be impossible to get to without... You know, without a, an L.C. being dug. Sure. Because we couldn't go into Laos and come back into Vietnam. No There, kidding. Were, there was some flat terrain in the hills of Laos that we went in originally on. But <clears throat> you couldn't land anywhere near where the crash site was because of the terrain. And they wouldn't Laos would let us go into Laos. Wow. Uh, the Vietnamese were very difficult to deal with at that time and a lot of money involved always they were supposed to have cut an LZ we're in Laos I mean we're in Laos we're in uh, we're in uh, Vietnam we're we're in Hawaii oh getting ready Uh, we flew out of Hickam landed in Guam flew into Da Nang (laughs) from Da Nang we we stayed in the Nang a couple three days convoyed a, over to Highline Pass to Fubai really oh and Fubai they have contracted they they weren't VNAF they were contracted uh, helicopters civilian helicopter company sure with old Russian MI-17s no yeah <clears throat> we're supposed to fly into this LZ that was cut and it wasn't an LZ cut no, there's no LZ. So you
0: flew out in a helicopter to discover there's no LZ. Yeah. Oh.
1: Now I don't know what who knew what at that time. Again, sure. we're just going along, with, you know. So we we landed in down in Al-Louis there, at the, the base of the Ashaw, and um, and the team leader was a uh, retired warrant officer, intel guy. Strange, you know, weird, odd guy. <laughs> I won't mention any names. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to climb the mountain. We had one day on to do this. To climb the mountain and yeah. come back? Yep. Yeah. The helicopter was not going to wait for us. Without more contract, they were not going to come back and get us. So oh. we take off up the side of this Hill 1528 15, toward the LZ. We got about maybe a third of the way up. And, and and part of the way, part of this is literally, and it's wet. The soil is wet because of the rain sure. and the weather and everything. We're literally crawling, pulling, you know. Sure. And uh, finally, uh, there was just no way we were going to get up there. And the team leader widely said, this ain't going to work. Uh, so we turned around and came back down again. laid yeah. out on the ground. They did bring some... Low, they did bring some... Uh, Mountain yards who lived in the vicinity in interrogated them and yeah they uh, do remember some of them. yeah we remember getting metal from that area up there and and so on and so forth so they had some intel that that's where the crash site was but the, that mission was a, nothing to go oh my. I got called again. In two thousand eight, nine, right, and went back, and uh, things had changed quite a bit. A lot more co- cooperation with the Vietnamese, and there was a, uh, the, a there's a Vietnamese unit doing the same thing as the Jpac, as it was called then.
2: Right. Okay.
1: <clears throat> and we had his VNAF colonel Who was the main guy And he ran a whole show And the U.S. team was headed by a, a warrant officer And these are r- real sharp intel Excuse me, intel guys And um, they knew what they were doing And poring over maps And you know So we uh, And he had an LZ cut there's a picture of me standing alongside his They head cut somewhere. But long story short. On the wrong hill. Yeah. I and mean, I took a picture of Hill 1528, about two clicks oh. over there. Um, the mission that this Vietnamese guy, or team leader, not guy, I mean, he was a colonel mm-hmm. in Vietnamese, uh, was altogether a different site. It was some other site that was supposed to, you know, we're in the wrong place.
0: Yes, cool hand Luke would say. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Yeah. Oh my god, well,
1: that was funny. I mean, we went everywhere we went. This Vietnamese colonel pulled a lot of pulled a lot of weight in that and the, the whole AO there. I mean, we ate where he wanted to eat and stopped when he wanted to stop and
0: <laughs> and failed to get the good intel when you need good accurate intel and you knew where you could go but he couldn't get you there.
1: Oh. So in. Uh, 2018. Yes, sir. I go back.
0: And before you get into this, I just, we just got to say what makes you and what you've done here special to all the solid community and any, any Vietnam vet is you're one of only a few Americans that have ever gone back to actually be there trying, working with our government on. of course, sometimes the government doesn't make it easy on people to want to help.
1: Well, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm beating on doors to go back and say fellow man. I mean, no. Um, but you were asked, uh, and as always, you you. But yeah, 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 responded. And I was the one, and and they one of their main sources of of intel was uh, was veterans. I mean, guys who were on the ground. Uh, for example, uh, they they used Caviani to go up on Hickory, and he actually found some Sergeant
0: Jones. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, um, and I was one of the. Living witnesses to this whole thing as a time uh, so anyway, so I go back things are looking a lot better. we go into uh <clears throat> get 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 to da Nang. Uh, and I was in much better physical shape than I am right now <laughs> so, well we all were. <laughs> So um, we launch out of Fubai again on probably the same helicopter. (laughs) No. We fly into an LZ that had been cut right on top of Hill 1528, and the winds are honking. I mean, there are strong, gusty winds coming from the west. Mm Mm-hmm. And that guy, he was no youngster flying that helicopter, did a masterful job of landing. I mean, uh, if I was flying that, I'd probably turn it around and go back. Okay, yeah. This guy landed. We tied the helicopter down. There was actually a a Laotian military unit set up up there that cut a trail down to the coordinates of where this crash site was. Really? Yeah. And the Vietnamese were bringing in resupplies for this Laotian military unit. Wow. And they're friendly. And, you know, and there's a trail runs right right along the uh, the border right up there. And there's no problem crossing back and forth, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so some anyway, progress, at least. We, we go down, and I got some pictures of this on my phone. We uh, ascertain within like four to six meters that we found the site where this crash was we moved a ways away and and, 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 and I, I remember one one striking thing there, there was like at the original uh, uh, battle site yeah. there was a uh, or I should say the original crash site uh, there was a, a break in, in the trees where I could actually see the Ashall Valley, you know, through the trees. Yeah. Okay. And I had that same view. From so this, you knew you were on, on the yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. I, and I just felt it, you know. Sure. And this, the 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 uh, intel guy on a team with the GPS he says, "Hey, this is we're we're here." Um. So we go back. And that's uh, successful. We find, I I, I have no say in what goes on from here, but uh, uh, the way they work, they they send in these uh, uh, survey teams and then it's determined whether it's worth excavating. Then they send in a recovery team, you know, and they do an actual archaeological dig.
0: Well, the thing I I, I never cleared up in my mind, even to today, was, at the crash site, and then after the firefight, and after you had all of the body parts put into body bags for the six body bags, how far away from the crash site were the body bags when you all had to survive? And well, we, we, being we moved
1: maybe 40, 50 meters to where we set up an RON. Right. Where the battle took place. Sure. Uh, going on a little bit here was interesting. Uh, that, that was my last hurrah. I mean, I, sure, they, they did. You know, they didn't need me anymore. Uh, a team with the same intel guy did go back, and they found a, a, a ledge that they feel is the one that we jumped and fell over. Mm-hmm. They found. He, he called me. Really? You know, on a cell phone from, the, from Vietnam to to uh, Long Beach. Or, I mean, to Fayetteville. And uh, he asked me, he says, Hey, Cliff, it, you guys, did any of your team members have AK-47s? Uh, I said, No, but the guys that are shooting at us sure did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they found a lot of shell casings, uh, uh, 762 uh, shell casings. Sure. In another area, they found what looks like turnbuckles, you know, when you you rig a helicopter for jumping or rappelling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They found something that resembled a turnbuckle. And one of the most striking pieces of evidence, I think, they found an unexploded claymore. No. Yeah. And to my knowledge, the only people carrying claymores were us and all of ours were exploded, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so my thoughts are that Claymore might have been in Watson or Lloyd's rucksack.
0: Sure, that makes sense.
1: You know? Yeah. I could be wrong. It's, it's a wild-ass guess on my part, but uh, I think that may be. And and uh, as of yet, I've asked a few questions. Uh, it, the case is it's case 1706. 1706. Yes, uh, it, it's still open. What they're going to do with it, I don't know. As you know, I mean, odds of finding remains with the acidity of the soil and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, the most acidic soil in the world. Yep. Southeast Asia, which will eventually destroy all bones except maybe the teeth.
1: Teeth, maybe fingernails. God. Uh, Personal thoughts. There's six souls up there that need to come home. I Amen. Think, yeah, I, 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 I would like to see them excavate. I doubt if they ever will. It's tough to get up there, uh, but they do. You know, like you see on TV with you know, the sift and sand and sure. sift and um, who knows. Oh yeah. But I'm still in touch with them, and uh, uh, those guys at the DPAA, you bet a lot of them. Are, well, yeah, and, the,
0: and 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 in fairness, all the ground crews. Oh, Anybody yeah. that are on those teams in country are go getters. Oh, well, they are. They've all earned our respect over the years, and um, as we go through this this um, bitter side of the sequel war, I don't know if we said it in the beginning of the program or not, but when you did this, there was like sixteen hundred plus uh, MIA's, and today the number is still one thousand five hundred eighty two. So over a nine year period of time, there have been minimal returns and there's a lot of other sidebars we could maybe get into, but maybe not right now. Um, That's frustrating in terms of uh, bringing people back. But uh, you, James uh, Shorten Jones, are the two saw guys that I know personally that have gone in, worked with DPA or whatever the preceding agencies were in those uh, efforts to help Locate and as you said, to bring them home.
1: There's some SF guys. I forget who it was, but somebody went into KSON and, uh, or not okay, K, but Lang Was Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh, they, maybe it was Paul Longrier. Could have been.
0: Because Paul went up on a mission. And again, I don't know if he was
1: with DPA or whatever
0: the equivalent of DPA was at that time. Yeah. What the good call? Paul Call.
1: But one of the issues uh, a lot of us have is. Uh, you know, as politics are involved. Yes, sir. It's higher end. One, one reason the now the the DPAA is is under Department of Defense. That was supposed to have eliminated a lot of the bu- bureaucratic nonsense that goes on between agencies, and it didn't do squat.
0: Yes, and we at four and a half. Or now it's
1: almost five years later. Well, they're finding. Uh, you know, no no disrespect intended, but World War II guys and yeah, that are fairly easy to find, you know, and it's a, so it's become kind of a numbers game when
0: they're doing a disinterment and then calling that bringing home missing. That's there's a PR game here that's not being completely factual, yeah. And uh, and also to your credit, um, we you and I are both members of the Special Forces Association and the Special Operations Association, where. You are served as president, board of directors, and general do-everything guy. I remember coming to the reunions, and you're the guy behind the scenes <laughs> just holding everything together. But in, um, I was 13 or 14, the SOA put together a POW-MIA committee. Mike Taylor was the chairman, and you're a part of that committee that's worked every year to work with DPA in efforts because now at the SOA reunions, DPA sends out reps to talk to any of our guys that have any new information about any of our people. And that's the good side of the operation. The negative side is that the uh, between the ground people that do the work and there are people that are still care at mid-level, there's too many bureaucrats and politicians that want the big numbers. So they can say, every year we got 200 people we brought back. And Like you said, no disrespect intended, but this agency was formed for Vietnam vets from the Vietnam War. And since then, it's been expanded. And um, it's very disturbing and very political. (laughs) Maybe we'll come back and do another show on that. But before we do that, um, and before we go into the second footnote in SOG history as to why we've invited you today, how did all this begin? Where did Cliff Newman begin in lovely downtown El Cajon? back when you were born and what school and what <laughs> took you to college or and then what got you doing skydiving so early in life
1: well i uh, uh, grew up in Southern california and uh graduated high school and uh, was I, I had a chance to go to a major university and i'm not going to go into much detail and play football uh, i was an all-league football player in high school um and I was offered a chance to try out I didn't have a scholarship to try out I went summer camp and uh, were you a receiver or a passer I was I was uh, I was a linebacker actually oh is that right yeah, that's what I was going to be trying out for sure um <laughs> and the freshman team was holding tackling and blocking dummies for the varsity and uh Long story short, I'm a scrawny 18 year old kid, and I got tired of getting knocked to my ass every every play. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've been on the so, wrong end of that, but not at that level. So, coaches and I came to meeting in mind and says, "Son, you're uh, you're good, but you ain't that good." So I went back to California and went to a. Junior, <laughs> you're good, but what, not <laughs> that good. What, what, what did shoot? I, I, Put some meat on those bones. Went to a junior college and played ball there and. And my uh, best friend, who's still a best friend, and you know, we're discovering beer and girls about the same time. Indeed. So we better do something. Uh, I wasn't a bad student, but I wasn't a scholar, and so we joined the army. And And what year was that? That was in 1963. Okay. (laughs) Um, He went to the E.S.A. and I volunteered for airborne, unassigned. So, I had no idea what that entailed.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, had you heard at that point? I, don't know, before, I saw what,
1: a recruiting poster and all these Green Beret guys and sure, okay.
0: Because so. this is before Roger Donlan had the Medal of Honor and before a
1: year before, yeah. And before, before the, that the song brochure, came out. Uh, that yeah. recruiting brochure, there it was there. cool. So I, uh, and this is a recruiting station in El Cajon. Yes, in San Diego In County. San Diego County. Yes, sir. so I had pretty good scores on these tests they give you so I was sent for my MOS training to radar repair school in Fort Monmouth New Jersey (laughs) 33 weeks of radar repair school
0: that's a long ways from Fort Bragg
1: long ways so about three quarters of the way through this I'm thinking well maybe I ought to think about being an electrical engineer instead of a instead of a Airborne Ranger You know Sure Because <laughs> that electrical engineer Was looking a little more You <laughs> know <what the hell? laughs> So I I uh, I uh, Turned down my Airborne uh, My Oh Well I came out of For jump school After Right this. 33 weeks later I said Nah I don't want to go to jump school <laughs> You can keep that yeah, yeah So I was sent to the 2nd infantry division Of Fort Benning as a radar repairman. PFC. They were about ten radar repairmen and two radar sets in this second <laughs> Division. So all of us highly trained experts were duty soldiers, you know. Yes, indeed. We're shoveling coal in the old barracks and all that. Wow, Jesus.
0: Meanwhile, you're right there next, you see the jump school going down.
1: And next thing happens, someone comes along and invents transistors. So all the vacuum tube sets that we learned on Are outmoded I started soldiering a little bit And I was, you know, and I was helping the, uh, Became friends with the first sergeant And I was doing the morning report and, and doing this, doing that And I was driving the CO and, 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 and and In this maintenance battalion Came down to earth for Korea So went to Korea 7th Infantry
0: Division. 7th Infantry Division? Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, Again, as a radar repairman, but the first sergeant was there in in this company. And long story short, I became the operation, I I made E5. I was promoted to uh, Spec 5 and (laughs) later converted to Sergeant E5. And I became the operations sergeant of the 707th Maintenance Battalion. <laughs> and I was responsible for the SOIs and the POIs. But for the most part, you know, these guys are all mechanics and whatever. So I wrote training schedules and, tra- and wrote a training SOP and doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of attaboys, you know. <laughs> so I said, well, this ain't so bad. So I volunteered for OCS. Really? Yep, and re-enlisted. Whoa. I figured, well. You were serious. Yeah, I figured, well, I figured I would have OCS, but then I would, instead of just about another year, I'd have like two more years to go before I could get out, but I would go be an officer. Sure. Went to OCS. I think the nine, at the end of nine weeks, you have your first little social gathering. You know, you relax a little bit, you talk to your TAC officers, and you drink a little beer, and that was a mistake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did you drink too much little beer?
1: Well, we had 11 p.m. bet check. Oh, um, no. And I was downtown partying at 11 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> got back to base, and the friggin' student uh, uh, CQ. <laughs> this bunk's empty. <laughs> he figured it out, did he? Yeah, I wasn't there. I was downtown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no. I got kicked out of OCS. Oh, no. Bad news, I had six years ahead of me in the Army. Oh. Good news, they didn't bust me. I got an Article 15. I kept my stripes. And I was uh, sent to the fifth mech here in Fort Carson. And I, I'm 86 and they were uh, gearing up the 5th Mech to go to Vietnam. And ironically, 5th Mech was in Da Dang, and we used to go down and du- eat, eat in their mess hall sure. at the Quandtree there at the side. So I was <laughs> operating a sergeant of a replacement <clears throat> detachment of the 5th Mech, And my MOS had been changed to O&I by that time.
0: Oh, okay, sure. Operations and, and intelligence. intelligence. Yes, sir.
1: So I came down on orders for Germany to an independent infantry unit in Germany, in Ulm, Germany. I forget what the unit was. And while in processing uh, through Frankfurt, uh, my records were pulled. Because the guy had pretty high scores and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm a young E-6, which is, you know. Sure. uh, To try out as an instructor for the 7th Army NCO Academy. I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So... Seventh Army NCO Academy. Yeah, but they had
0: Steins and big beer halls over there.
1: Oh. That could be a double jeopardy, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I said, yeah. So I get on a train, go down to tolls where the Seventh Army NCO Academy is, and the same concern compound that the 10th Special Forces Group was. Indeed. So I go through the academy as a student, and I was like the number two in the class. Oh, wow. And I became a tack officer of the 7th Army NCO Academy. I mean, I can count cadence for the best of them. <laughs> and we had spit-shine boots, starch fatigues, carried a swagger stick. No. Yeah. In the meantime, in the NCO club, I'm becoming friends with these SF guys. And I'm thinking, man, these guys aren't the same guys that I'm dealing with over here. I mean, these, these are some interesting guys, and they're calling my first name. i think these are good guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. i think well, I better do something. So I started I, – I joined a Trojan Sport Parachute Club under the tutelage of Frank Norberry and a Pud McFadden and Rudy Villarreal, Yomer White, and Gordon Jackson. Wow. I learned how to skydive. No kidding. Yep. So one day I'm, uh, all my SF friends are saying, and I have my good conduct medal and my national defense medal. Ooh, yes, of course. And all these guys had about three and four rows of shit, you know what I mean? They, but
0: but there, no good they, conduct. They've
1: been to Vietnam at least twice. And they had no good conduct medals. No, I don't know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and they keep saying, Cliff, man, you got to move over here, man. This is what, you know, you, you you don't belong over there. So one day I put in a, t- a form of the application, the 1049, to the Voluntary Special Forces. I'd they didn't accept it. I literally moved across the street. Literally. <laughs> signed in to the 10 Special Forces Group, and the duty officer at the time on duty was Mike Taylor. No. Yep. Oh, my
0: goodness. Yep. He was a captain then, I assume? He was or? first lieutenant. First lieutenant, yes, okay. No
1: longer a butter bar. <laughs> so I went to work at uh, in the S two section, and um, and then the the group and I wasn't SR qualified, I wasn't Airborne qualified. Right. The group what, moved to Fort Devens in sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty
0: eight. Yeah, they were by they were there by sixty nine when I got yeah, stuck yeah. there.
1: <sighs> yeah, and I went I went with them, and I was sure. working as the, in the S three as a, tra- a training NCO in the S three section. And I was do, jumping quite a bit. Sure. And uh went down to jump school and went went to
0: Got officially qualified yeah. after
1: after you've already become a skydiver. Yeah. I had forty fifty jumps I went to jump school. Really? And, <laughs> and I made a mistake one day of uh in the in the in the tower. Yeah. I asked the lane grader if I could log this log this. <laughs> he said I'm probably the reason the Chattahoochee is curved, right? I, I did so many push ups at Fort Benning. <laughs> oh, no. So, so, anyway, at least I'm qualified.
0: Yes, you are. Oh. And I,
1: airborne qualified. Yeah. And I go back up to Fort Devons and um, I took the correspondence course. I went down to Bragg a few times, I took a lot of MOS training. I went on missions in the White Mountains with teams, and they buy me along, you know. Sure. I went, and uh, this is all through 10th group. Yeah. Yes, sir. And uh, they awarded me my my S my my SF qualification. Some sure. Folks may may question that, but um, <laughs> screw them. I, I you know <laughs> I got more free fall time dive time and combat time <laughs> yeah absolutely anyway long, not, yes. not, long story short so uh, I finally got to go to Vietnam I've been trying to go to Vietnam because that's and I met a lot of guys and I met this I can't remember his name nice guy he was a captain and he was at FLB4 in of 68 <sighs> lives up in New York did an interview with Volvin Yap at one time Really? Yeah. Tells his name. Anyway, I met several people. Certainly. Uh, and he said, Man, CCN, where it's at. You got to go to CCN. I'm going, really? That's where I want to go. So I get that train, and uh, sure enough, so I So what go
0: year up, is this? This is 69 now, right? 69. Yeah.
1: Uh, I get, <laughs> go up to CCN. And here's that old black school bus with the window shot oh, out and yes. holes in it. Yeah, yeah. Came down and picked us up at the airport. The metal and wire in the windows yeah, keep the hand grenades going, out. What? <laughs> what have I done? And I didn't know. And I had a top secret clearance by then. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what they did. Sure. I'm thinking.
0: What, so, the, what did this good friend put me into here? Yeah. yeah.
1: So I go down to CCN and and Chuck Dover is a recon. I forget who the camp sergeant major was. Dover was a recon guy. Well, I met you. You were there.
0: Yeah, I I came back in October. Okay, that's about time I got there. Sure, I
1: I met you and 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 Eldon and uh, oh yeah and uh, and Lynn. Lynn was there. and, And Robbie Robinson. Absolutely, we have we had two Robinsons in camp, and, Dave and, Maurer and, and, and Dave Maurer and um, Jeff Jenkins, Jeffrey L. Junkins. yes, indeed. And I stayed in, 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 in Jenkins and in, Jeff gave me a bunk in his hooch. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I found out what I was going to be doing. And, sure. Uh, oh well, then I went down to one zero school and uh, down a long time. Went back and took got a team, R <clears> T <throat> uh, Ohio. And, and getting ready to go in was, was – the team leader was a, a lieutenant by the name of Beck, Travis Beck.
0: Travis Beck, okay.
1: I mean, <clears throat> we're at the launch site getting ready to go, and one of the yards is getting the pen flares put together. It went off and hit Beck right in the leg. Ooh. Oh, geez. Went back to Da Nang and uh, – uh, I forget. I, they, I talked to somebody. I forget who it was, but they gave me the team, and I was didn't have any experience at all. But yeah, they gave me the team. I well, did You, well. you I, had a target on the launch pad. I mean, what more could you want? Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So I, uh, I uh, took RT Ohio as one zero and uh, ran some pretty decent missions. It turned out. Uh, Little Ronnie Hanna ran with me. Went up in the. Was that right? Yeah, we went, went up to the DMZ. Yeah. Got some good intel. Uh, we were going to get out, and they are going to flip-flop another team. And as we were doing that, the weather came in. I ended up spending eight days in the DMZ. <laughs> yeah, you what know? time
0: of the year was that? It gets pretty cold up there, doesn't it? Colder it
1: colder than it's not. It was like January February.
0: Yeah, we were stuck up there for five days in the rain oh. in December
1: of 68.
0: I can. I tell people, that's like, it's Vietnam, it can't be that cold. Well, be advised, right, Cliff?
1: Yeah. Ooh. So that's how I got started at, uh, at at CCN. And then I had RT Ohio and then Roger Teter became my 1-1 and for about a year we ran some pretty decent missions. And
0: for an entire year then, huh?
1: Yeah, pretty much, close to it.
0: Yeah, I remember, what I remember most about you, you had that one corner in the in the clubhouse <laughs> and you had those nice new fatigues on and you're a staff sergeant already, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, looked like a sergeant had his act together <laughs> <laughs> so at some point along comes rt florida well oh no what about so mel hill take it for near so you're on a hire for a year you get a little r&r or take a little break or you're just you're enjoying the scene so
1: much that what's uh, a sydney for r&r great time oh had a hard
0: time coming back huh Ooh.
1: We won't go into detail on that (laughs) one.
0: Well, Doug Letourneau had the same problem. He went to Australia and didn't want to come back.
1: They treated him so well down there. But uh, uh, things are changing. Uh, The fifth group left. Right. Uh, A lot of the camps, Delta Project shut down. CCS shut down. Yeah. Um,
0: Aspen said, the teams up: the CONTUM and the CCN.
1: And... Sammy came up, and apparently I, he knew of me or whatever, but asked if I would take him out, and I said, of course. You know? Sure. Uh, Lightning, Lieutenant Wunderlich. No, is well, that
0: right? He's on your first team with Florida? No, no you're still in
1: Ohio? No, he's still Ohio. Okay. He, it was kind of funny, though. He was a, the, the club officer and the veteran control officer, and, and John Hobbs was a sergeant major. Oh, of course. Hobbs says, Cliff, we want you to take— Lieutenant looked out, I said. <laughs> this guy wore big thick glasses, weighed about 120 pounds, soaking wet. Was a second lieutenant, and I said, "No way." <laughs> Fred came <laughs> down. Sergeant Newman, I you know, I you know, I mean, you're the one zero. always you know, we have no issues rank wise. You know, I would love to go on. With so I took him out.
0: Because the V and the Mese could carry as much as he could carry. Oh. <laughs> uh,
1: so him, him, I took him and Sammy out on their first missions. Really? Okay. Yeah, out of CCN. Sure. And we had a good mission, actually. Uh, I have to go into detail if you...
0: Well, absolutely, yeah. with yeah.
1: you and Sammy, that's vintage me, classic stuff. Me, Sammy, and Lightning. Right. Okay. So we go in. I think we went in on a ladder we went in an area and I don't remember the target designations anymore but across the fence oh yeah it was in Laos big valley and had these karst formations you know like lava rock sure looked like big you know boob sticks out of the Do ground remind
0: you of head, head, headstone
1: uh, not that big they're a good size yeah yeah and our mission was to, and I what I planned was it was, a, it was a POW stance mission, and I planned to go in on top of one of those, spend a couple of days, and you looked out at the trail. Sure. Go down, set up, get a prisoner, and get you know, get a silver star and get out of there. <laughs> Did you practice setting up your, your classic Claymore mine uh, well, practiced, POW? Yeah, we practiced the whole thing. <laughs> oh. However, once we all got on the ground, within yeah, yeah. about an hour of getting on the ground. We were completely surrounded. You could look down and see bushes moving. You know. Yeah, indeed.
0: And no wind again. And no wind. <laughs> so
1: I said, I said, Fred, you got your CIB yet? No. Oh, you see those bushes down there? Put a few rounds down there. He doesn't. <laughs> so we get, we get a little shootout. <laughs> Put a few rounds down there. <laughs> so it's okay. You got a CIB in this trip. <laughs> But we're high and dry. I mean, yeah. it's high and dry. You can't get up there. You can't get up there. Sure. Yeah, And it's like climbing rocks. So, like second day in, trying to figure out what we're going to do here. And we had movement. And Sammy goes down to check out this movement. Boom! Comes back up. He said, yeah, this dude was climbing up that, that but I got him with a grenade. <laughs> Sammy, why are you... Catch to shoot shoot some wound them or something, you know? Yeah. I mean that's it. A...
0: We need to peel the W.
1: So <laughs> probably that night, maybe the third night in. We're up there, we're sitting on, you know, bit, you know, high and dry. Yeah. We hear this rumble. And I'll be damn here comes some lights and some, we hear some voices, and we see a bulldozer. We don't see, we see the lights yeah, here. Sure. That's on a trail? Doing road work on a trail. You know? Yeah. Pushing shit out of the way and working the trail and we're watching it and he goes off over here and I take some coordinates and uh next morning I called Covey and I said, We got I think we got a camp some kind. We got you know, gave him an intel report. They brought in fast movers and I'm sitting on top of this (laughs) rock pile (laughs) My my compass
2: and
1: my radio and these guys are flying below me. Below you? Be, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we were. I mean, they they were making gun sure. runs. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'm working these guys, and they got they got got a secondary explosions and a oh, some kind cool. of a some kind of a road crew yard, you know.
0: Yeah, and you destroyed a Russian
1: bulldozer. We, we got it. <laughs> I assume it was a Russian bulldozer. Yeah. But that was, uh, and then no way we could get off that hill, so they came and got we got out. That was Lightning's first...
0: First mission, you
1: got him a CIB. And this guy turned out to be one hell of a soldier. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, he, he had his own team for a while. He, t- he took R.E. Ohio for a while and then went on and had another team. And
2: a so little skinny
1: fucker, did yeah, good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so at some point, as you progress, so he takes over the team, and where does Cliff Newman go from there? Well, I... Uh, does Mel come to you? Or?
1: Just after this mission... Uh, Sammy, or Sammy, uh, Billy Waugh. Right. Comes up to me at the CCN camp. Then champ.
0: Sergeant Major? I think nah, he's still still an
1: E8. He might have been still an E8. Okay. He might have been Sergeant Major. He was Sergeant Major. Uh, knew it. uh And Sammy was with me, and Sammy you knew Sammy was Halo qualified. Right. <laughs> he says, uh, to put together a halo mission and you guys are on it. <laughs> I said, sorry, man, I'm a skydiver, man. I He said, you're one zero, you jump out of airplane, get your rucksack. <laughs> 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 so, Ooh. we're going to a, make a halo mission and we eventually did. <laughs> wow.
0: Because he just, uh, uh, <laughs> I remember he was at CCN near the end of my second tour and he was talking to Hobbs or somebody and, God, I forget it's either the mess hall or the club it must have been a club, one or the other, but they're talking and at some point, I remember Billy talking to Hobbs have you all thought about jumping in? When I heard that I went back to Lynn and said, look, you see that little guy? <laughs> Stay the hell away from yeah. me. He wants to jump into Laos and so... <laughs> Here we go. Uh, December, uh, well, first, you, there's some interesting stories. So they designate you, and then um, then you get assigned to RT Florida where Mel Hill is the one zero. Yeah. Okay, and he's got experience?
1: Yeah, some. Some. Uh, he, he Billy knew him below, before. I, I didn't realize it until uh, recently. Uh, at the next SOAR, we're going to do a, an airborne symposium that, that yes, sir. Mike had set up. And, uh, of course, Mike is no longer with us, so I, I, I'm going to probably um,
0: host it. And, again, for our viewing audience listening, this is the 46th Special Operations Association reunion, yeah. and they have programs for four days. It'll begin October 17th at, in Lost Wages, and it runs through. And we have programs, including MIA committee meeting, other programs, and... What Mike, the same Mike Taylor, who was a lieutenant, that greeted you in tenth group, the
1: same Mike Taylor,
0: went on to become chairman of the Joint POW/MIA <laughs> Committee with the SOA and the SFA, did great work there, and made the mistake of volunteering to run for the board of directors and was a VP. He served with great valor there <laughs> and due diligence as the vice president. Great work, and sadly, we lost Mike last month. Yeah, so you got the nod and. That'll be one of our features at uh, Swordis here.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd like to back up a little bit Please here. Please back. At, at, um, this is your story. While in camp, uh, every once in a while we, we you know we had good support. I mean, we uh, someone would go steal some steak somewhere or whatever, and we'd have a barbecue and. Sure. <clears throat> and Mike Taylor. Um, well, we were having a barbecue, and here's Mike Taylor. And I had not seen him since I signed in, 10th group. <laughs> and now he's a captain. And now he's a captain. And he's over at NKP, Non Conf Phenom, sure. Thailand, one of our launch sites. So we renew our acquaintance and go on. Uh, so, anyway, to, to move ahead, uh, uh, we, under the auspices of uh, Billy Waugh, And they had been working on this for some time i didn't realize it at that time but uh, him and shungle and some other people have been planning something like this for a long time um, and just never gotten any real support or okay to actually put a mission together Mm -hmm. apparently they they finally got it uh and Mel, Hill, Mel, Mel uh, Hill had worked with him before in another operation. He's a good guy. And, and Mel's
0: an E-7 at that time, he's too. He's an E-7.
1: Sure. Sammy's an E-7. I'm an E-6. <clears throat> uh, I was probably the most experienced 1-0, if you will, at the time. Yeah. Sammy was by far the most combat experienced. And Mel, good guy, my friend, up until his last days, was a ranking guy. Um, so he's the one zero. Sammy and I kind of took turns <laughs> being a one one or whatever. We we didn't really have a structure, yeah. you know. What I mean, sure. I did. I ran a lot of stuff. Sammy ran a lot of stuff.
0: Because at that point, you're also pioneering a new track. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of flexibility um, when you're the first out the door or the first in the in the shoot.
1: We well we one thing you think about Halo is it's an error they make today, and I brought up it a couple of times when I was a guest speaker at the Halo School in Yuma. Uh, and that 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 jump is just a way of getting on the ground. And once you get there, you got a mission to do, you know. And Indeed. So Don't forget that, and of you know, course,
0: again for our first-time viewers, Halo is high altitude, low, low opening parachute jump, and usually at the you jump from at least 15,000 feet or more. Yeah. And if it's more, then you jump <clears> with air because there's no air to breathe. O- you have O2, o- oxygen, yeah.
1: Oxygen. Which we didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> so you jumped under that threshold. No, we jumped 17,000 feet. No. Yeah. Without air. Without O2. Without <laughs> now. Okay. There's a whole lot more to the story. We, we put a team together. Uh... They brought a couple guys and some uh, Rade mountain yards up from CCS, from, Fubai, from uh, by Me To It. Right. <clears throat> and then uh, we had us, and we were going go to go to Okinawa and train these guys with the help of the Halo committee on Oki, the Halo team. Right. Um, Joe Markham, Ben Dennis, and others. So we did, and we had. Uh, I can. And we were doing our uh, jumping out on uh, on Ishima, which is an island off of Okinawa, where the World War II news correspondent Ernie Pyle was killed. Yes. <clears throat> and our jumps were going to be from seventeen thousand feet. I'm. I'm sorry. I take it back. From twelve five, twelve thousand five hundred feet. The very first jump we make, we get out, and the way you. Today you have GPS. Then you have a stopwatch and a compass. <laughs> <laughs> so you have winds aloft and you take a combat sky spot, you know, you got you your winds, you take an average, combined with speed, and if you're jumping on an island, when you cross the shore, you hit stopwatch, and so many seconds out is when you get out of the airplane. Very first jump, one of the mountain yards gets out. We had timers on him also, but he gets out and pow, he opens his parachute right there. It's twelve thousand feet <laughs> over to South China Sea, and Billy got got hold of a Marine helicopter actually that was flying around, and I don't know was it, maybe his it guard frequency, and they went and picked this kid up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> He said
0: That's a lot of time under the silk.
1: Okay. Uh next jump tomorrow, he said <laughs> <laughs> No no way, Jose. <laughs> that was the first one.
2: Oh no. Uh,
1: we were jumping on uh there was a little plowed up area and the ground itself is hard packed carl. Ooh. And me being a sky god, I'm thinking, no, I don't wanna land on that duro there i'm gonna land this road so i land that road do a plf scrape the gs out of my elbow it takes about 30 seconds to puff up like a basketball yeah totally infected by the carl dust oh i gotta get that worked on i go to the dispensary we're we're sterile we're not supposed to be there you know we're we're
0: Again, traditional assault. You weren't there
1: when we you weren't were there, there.
0: indeed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can't tell these the medics and the dispensary nothing. You know, and we wow. finally got through. You know, well, we finally got people, everybody trained. Um,
0: How long did that take overall?
1: Then? Oh, that was about a month, three weeks. Well,
0: that's not bad. Yeah, particularly if you're dealing with raw A that had never jumped before, never spent any time under the silk.
1: We, we narrowed the team down, the actual team, to Melvin, Sammy, myself, two Rod a yards, and the Vietnamese uh, Tiwi, a third lieutenant, if you will, from okay. the Arvin, who yeah. Who's a good guy. Turned out to be a pretty, pretty decent pretty decent guy. And we were going to be the six-man recon team, RT Florida, named after Dan Shunk- Colonel Shungle, uh, head of Op 35 at the time, head of this operation, his home state. We go back to uh, Vietnam, back to the CCN camp, continue training, I get this homing device, we work, practice homing in, and practice ground operations and so on and so forth. And how would the homing device work? It uh, was a large, cumbersome- Black box. Box. <laughs> that you raise an antenna, and it emitted a signal. The signal was picked up by regular AM radio. And when you got a null, in other words, you had a beep, 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 nothing, a beep, beep, beep. When you got a null in the signal, that was the direction you headed in. You had to at least know where you were because if you did a 180, you'd go the wrong way. <laughs> Cause you got to know one eighty also, you know. <laughs> oh, is that right? You got null behind you. You know, they just didn't, yeah. didn't know. All I did was it picked up signal or no signal. Oh my gosh! It, it didn't tell you where it was coming from. So we jumped into war zone D. We made a lot of training jumps. We jumped into war zone D, and uh, practiced, uh, you know, coming in and homing in on me and so on. Practiced. um, That device actually worked? Well, yeah. In training, it worked well. Yeah, it worked great. Yes. It didn't work in the rain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, we also practiced uh, homing and free fall. I was a group leader, I was going to be the first guy. Right. When I had the most free fall experience, and I was going to have marking panels, fluorescent colored you know marking panels like you're marking a, a DZ and LZ whatever right under the the bunch of cords on my my backpack those two work great in good weather oh and you could actually see them you know and I'd be damn you know we we uh I remember one jump I uh was putting the team out and I'm spotting out the door this 130 and we were twelve five. and I was going to track to a Point A and the team was to form on me in free fall. Right, I get it. I'm tracking and I open. And round parachutes make a loud noise when they open at, at, at terminal velocity. Bam, I open up and bam, and, and, and there's a parachute right next to me. And here's uh, one of one of our mountain yards. <laughs> Name was Enoe No. I says, No. WTF. That's that's, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, how'd you how'd you get here? He says, "Tongsi, I see you fly like this, so I fly like this." <laughs> and that guy was just following me around the sky. You know, and there's no word in his language for parachutes.
2: Of course, yeah. You know?
1: So anyway, <laughs> all that worked great in training. Mike told me later on, uh, and for the weather, yeah. He said, oh, yeah. you got no business. This is bad weather at this time of the year. you got no business trying to put a, a team in like that. And just so for the record here, in Mike's interview with
0: us, he was SOG I think, number 11 or 12. He talked about that specifically oh, yeah. and how he had talked to SOG headquarters, somebody down there, and talked to the stupid Air Force meteorologi- meteorologist. Did I say that wrong? Right? Anyway, weatherman. Meteor- Air Force weatherman. And he said, what you just said. Mike says, look, we we work this AO. There's bad weather. You shouldn't jump. They ignored him. And so you guys saddle up. And on a rainy night in December 1970, RT Florida jumps.
1: From uh, 17,000 feet at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, in the rain. Well, we didn't know that. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, of course. <laughs> There's some things they didn't tell us. <laughs> oh, now we oh, we we had, we, we had a, a, a console, an oxygen console, an O2 console. Mm-hmm. So unlike in Scu- the planes
0: you're flying, getting out, out. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah.
1: Unlike scuba, you you, you breathe in condensed air. Inhale, you breathe in O2, oxygen. So we had an oxygen O2 console. We got these hoses. We we're sucking on it. Me and Sammy were going. When they gonna turn around here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be damned! They didn't. Uh, they didn't black out, lower the ramp, and turn that green light on. Oh. He said, "Well, shit, here we go." So we, uh, I got, out. I got out. I was the first one off the ramp, and fell about uh, five seconds. And I was in a rainstorm, oh. and I was in a rainstorm the entire. Five days, I was on the ground. pretty no much so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a rainstorm, per se. It was at that altitude at that time. Sure. And, and nobody could see me. You couldn't see those panels. And uh, my, my we, we had for some reason I we had our rucksack mounted in front. Anyway, it pushed my my reserve. I'm, these aren't the modern you know backpack throughout. Right. You know, they're Air Force four-pin containers when your reserve's in front. Push my reserve, which, which was holding my altimeter, up to my chest. So I'm falling through the night sky in the rain, trying to pull out that, you know. <laughs> I no. Watch my altitude, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I finally said, "She, there's enough of this, and I, I, uh, I opened I was about 2,000 feet, which is about where I wanted to be. Well, thank
2: God you had all
0: that experience. Yeah. To make that kind of decision.
1: Yeah. Oh. And uh, as I opened, the rain had subsided a little bit because I could see hilltops over here, you know, which is a good sign that I wasn't on top of one of them. Right. It landed, and it was mushy, five inches of water here and there. Not in the jungle. No, no, jungle open. Wow! Scant trees. Uh, I in my canopy went over uh, one tree and I, I took some time getting it out because the wind would rustle and no, and then the wind would stop and I, would you know. Sure. Uh, anyway, I got my canopy out, got it, all that stuff cached, set up the uh, homing device, and it didn't work. It, it wouldn't. Uh, oh, at that point, you learned that. The homing device was not waterproof. Yeah. Oh, the pain in the agony on that one. So I uh, kind of figured, well, this ain't good. Uh, I cashed everything, got my rucksack, and got my CAR-15 ready and uh, started moving toward high ground. And uh, it's it, still dark. Long, yeah. Not long after first light, I, I encountered, by chance, one of the mountain yards. No. Yeah. Okay. And... Uh, so we linked up and moved up the, further up higher to higher ground and set up a little place and kind of did some local recon around the area and excuse me heard some herd movement heard some stuff heard some farmers farming heard some recon by fire over here and really yeah um, do you think
3: they
0: knew you had, you were in the area or was it just them training they they
1: practicing? they knew we were in the area. Really? And to back up a little bit, we had a previous planned launch aborted.
2: That's right. Because a
1: message was intercepted from Saigon to Hanoi with our names and coordinates. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Uh, So, to what degree that and that, that that was caused by the Walker family. Right. Remember the Walker family? Of course, the, the Walker guy. brothers.
0: Yeah. And of course, at that time, back in 68 um, or 67, when they had the, uh, the USS Pueblo, mm-hmm. the Russians asked the Koreans to bring it in. When they <clears throat> did, they took all of the top secret encryption gear, went to co- Cambodia with it, and then combined with the Walker brothers' code, they were able to listen to um, a lot of the top secret yeah. traffic for both Navy and Army on that, without our knowledge for several years, yeah. which is just explains a lot in terms of the of Sog
1: being compromised. So I I can't answer definitely if they knew we were there or not. Right. My my semi-educated guess is, of course, they did.
2: Especially,
0: particularly if they're doing recon by fire, meaning. So again, for our listeners that they don't hear it for the first time, just if soldiers thinking the enemy's in their territory they'll go out and do an area recon so they come to a jungle area or a crowd of bushes instead of getting their pants wet and getting thorns they'll open fire on it and that, that's that's the term recon by fire kind of a saving
1: grace from that end <laughs> <laughs> you knew where they were well they didn't know where we were though but they, they knew we were there sure ironically um as first light, I made contact with you know, uh, a nail fac out of NKP, Jim Latham and Mike Taylor. No. So that was your first contact on the, on the first day? Okay. Second, well, the, fo- the following day, the morning. Uh, so you
0: were on the ground for 24 hours before you had radio contact with anyone?
1: Um, 12 Whew. hours. Okay. Still, that's a pretty long time without radio contact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm uh, encoding, you know, you take coordinates by back azimuth, you know, hilltops and whatever. So I'm encrypting where I think I am. Yeah. And I had cut my map down oh, no. to a six-kilometer grid square. Like we all, all like did. we always operate in. Sure. Plus two clicks on For either good side. Acetate so it fit in my side pocket very easily. So I'm encoding these (laughs) coordinates up, and about three days in, uh, Mike and the the pilot, Jim Latham, found a hole, and they got down through the hole, and I put a shiny on them, a mirror, you know, and they got an actual fix on where I was. Told me where I was. It was about 10 clicks from where I was supposed to be. 10
0: clicks. Oh, my God.
1: The Air Force, and we, we ascertained later on, they, they fly by a Doppler. They, you know, they're taking asthmus the same way with sophisticated sure. equipment off of river bends and mountaintops and everything. When this valley we were in it was about 15, 20 um, kilometers long, and it was exactly alike. It looked very similar. So they, they were just following a track. You off of where they should have been. Um, anyway, so after five days, they did bring in.
0: so, did you get any other intel reports there? And then, also, in answer after you answer that, then what? What if any combo did you have with any other teammates? And then, what if anything did they in turn develop for any intel of half value or any value at all? Other let's just. Like the animals have said, we gotta get out of this place.
1: I linked up with one of
0: the the Yards. The, the Rade Yards. Yeah.
1: The other yard and the Vietnamese guy hooked up, and they had radios, but they, they weren't communicators. Sammy and Mel were by themselves. Wow. <laughs> I was I was the only one talking. No kidding. Until uh, you know, until they finally start coming in to get us, you know, and um, <laughs> look at God, we gotta find you, man. You got you gotta tell us where you are, or, or give us a, you know, some idea which way to fly to find you. you no, know, Melvin just you, you,
3: you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't want to say. He didn't have the here. time on the ground that you all
1: had. Well, no. Yes. Anyway. Anyways. Uh, so there were four separate pickups by Jolly Green. After five days. After five days. Flew us into, I think it was Udorn, an Air Force base in Thailand. There was a blackbird sitting there. Flew us straight into Saigon. Got into Saigon about 2 o'clock in the morning. And he had a spread laid out with champagne and orders and stuff. Yeah, no kidding. And we've been uh, in isolation for about two or three days on the ground, five days, and two more days getting into Saigon. And we were probably pretty rank by that time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you had your own intel reports to Sammy, and then the uh, Mel bringing any other additional information to the table from that. I, I, I don't. I don't. Because they would have been interviewed separately from you because you were both separated. And again in the top secret war, we don't talk to each other. Did people running the show talk to you, get your story?
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if, you, you, did you interview Sammy yet?
0: No, we're gonna work on okay. him. Hopefully that's sore this year. He should be. He's yes, supposed he's,
1: to be involved in this Halo thing. I mean his no, he's planning on it. It's booked, yeah. he's ready to go. Um, I, I, I don't know if they did or not, to be honest with you.
0: And so at any but, point does somebody come out and say, R.T. Florida, you have done something historic today. The first time, probably in Army history, where we had
1: a team that, that haloed into a combat zone. Well, we we, we didn't – those of us on the ground did not make that claim. I mean, we don't know. I no, mean, we're, of course. We're, we're ground, guys ground. Are, Yeah. <laughs> but it's my understanding that OP-35 went all the way to the agency uh, and researched if there was ever an actual combat – Sure planned combat ha- uh, Halo jump and they could not find anything.
2: No
0: kidding. So that's what makes this jump so, so historic. It's the first then you're followed by four more Halo jumps and then there are at least 12 or 13 static line jumps that were also performed by some of them before your jump yeah. but static line is far different from Halo
1: Yep. in Leos. <laughs> <laughs> well they uh, they <laughs> And it's not a joke. It all sounded like it, but they uh, termed our mission a success, not so much from uh, intel, but the fact we all got out alive. <laughs> hey, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. And then with Mike Taylor, I I can't imagine from the Covey side how rigorous it was just to locate of the other four people because you had your one rod A, but they still had to c- contact the others, and they were keeping low profile on the radio, which was that was pre-designed, correct? To have minimal combo from you all because RDF out there was pretty pretty strong.
1: Well, actually.
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm asking. No, Mel's, uh,
1: Mel's a commo guy. He, he, he was combo, and he okay. had a uh, PRC 64, which is then kind of state of the art. It was uh, voice, CW.
0: Oh, CW too?
1: Combination, yeah. Oh, wow. And it was about so big. And our primary means was going to be CW. And when I heard that, I had Roger Teeter, my former one-one, who was a combo guy, give me a few because I don't I don't know the code, but sure. I learned enough to call for help. You know? Yeah. Yeah. S O
0: S. Yeah. And I learned our, our
1: call sign and and uh, you know. Wow. But he never came up on it. You know.
0: <laughs> Man, because we had, that's know one of our solid vulnerabilities was combo once we got on the ground and we asked begged for different radios so finally by the end of 1970 at least you had something different and it
1: seemed like it worked a little bit if not better than what we had I remember sitting on an operation and I forget which one it was but it was a quiet moon starlit night with a tree and stars <clears throat> and I'm thinking now they can talk to the moon, but I can't talk to anybody. You know? <laughs>
0: so <laughs> that's a, that's a very cogent thought. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So our recon guys are struggling with with FM, which they had in World War Two, probably World War One, and they're and by '69 they're walking on they're walking talking on the moon and we're in and the recon teams can't connect. great thought I hadn't thought about it that way (laughs) but you thought about that on a starlit night in (laughs) Laos oh my god Cliff Mm. so um, after anything anywhere follow us from that or any postscripts um, people coming back talk about it it now with the Halo School is this still a method that the army has within its realm of what weapons to use for tactical advantage and top
1: secret missions it it became (coughs) excuse me (coughs) it became a a much more popular means of insertion but they had the same same problems navigation ground commo uh Murphy's law (laughs) Yeah, always Murphy's law. Um, and not too long back, they were making Halo School one of the uh, one of the uh, JFK courses, one of one of the right. training group courses, sure for everybody. Which was a huge mistake, and they've since cut that out. So, and then Jag got involved. <laughs> Jag got involved. Sure. No. You can't go to the bathroom without getting oh. legal permission from a JAG officer somewhere. <laughs>
0: Indeed, okay. But some,
1: but some of the teams used. I think 10th group might have had a, a halo insert. I think 7th group made a halo insert. But to get through, and today with communication, contrary to back then, you can talk to the Pentagon from the hilltop in, uh, in Bangladesh, for God's sakes. sure. If they have any hilltops in Bangladesh. <laughs> well
0: and then getting back to the, the you you just quickly went across a
1: couple of points, which is
0: the difference between Halo and a conventional jump. With a conventional jump you have pathfinders or people that would be on the ground first to establish a good L Z and they would have signals from there that the aircraft can vector in on, or signals at least, that the jump master can hone in on to know that they're on target. Halo, you ain't got none of that. No. <laughs> no, you're just jumping the hell out of the airplane. Like you said, there's a lot of the vectoring and things like that. And that's a major contrast with adds to the top secret capabilities, but in terms of making it work. That's the $64,000 well, challenge. Well,
1: we had uh, – there were five halo jumps in Vietnam done by SOG. None of them were really successful.
0: In the traditional sense.
1: And we lost one guy on one,
0: right. Sure. he got hung up in the trees, yeah, wow, that's indeed any other uh any other fellow follow thoughts on this line? even Billy wall did one he did to his credit. I mean, <laughs> I was throwing bricks at him a little bit in the beginning there, and we ran away from,
1: him, but <laughs> he did jump he did he did. You know, people love or hate Billy Waugh. Yes. Now, I, I, I kind of like the guy myself. He you was, have to. Um, and he, he was a, the proverbial soldier who wouldn't who would do anything he would expect you to do.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: You know? Sure. A lot of people accused him of, um, you know, recklessly sending teams in and people in here and which may have a valid point. But he would have done the same thing himself.
0: There's no question about that. So yeah. I,
1: uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, anyways, we're at that point, sir. Um, upon reflection, so after your Army career, and then from there you went uh, returned to uh, Signal, California?
1: Well, after I was medically retired, and at a time when we didn't have the... <clears throat> Uh, the counseling capabilities that they do today both psychologically and and uh and uh, work related you know sure I was a letter arm, army hospital in san francisco and i was you know still just twenty nine years old i was an e seven so I'd made rank right 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 up there sure and uh I uh, thought what the hell i just going back to my civilian life here you know, yeah. Which was after ten years in the army and six in special forces would may not have been the smartest thing to do. Well, it was a challenging so I transition. Took, I took retirement, <clears throat> piddle around, piddled around. I used and I I, went, I stayed with my parents and uh, who were living in Santee in San Diego County at that time. Uh, uh, I, I used my gi bill instead of going back to school i used my gi bill to get get my pilot's ratings and uh, i got a commercial multi-rating so i love the flying i I was thinking i could get a job but no one's going to hire no airline is going to hire a one-legged pilot you know oh they're prejudiced (laughs) well i mean it's just again uh, i mean you you know there's insurance things that start sort of it may be different today i don't know but but then I, i i had um you know,
0: what well, the other problem you had competing with you? Had, you were competing with thousands of Vietnam vets that had combat experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they all had both yeah. legs. To be to be really blunt about it, and you're up so, against that. That's two strikes
1: against you right away. I did find a flying job. Actually, I uh, met a guy, um, another airport bum, and uh, <laughs> he had a brother-in-law who was a principal in a, in a wholesale a produce packing company in the Coachella Valley. And they had during the- uh, Which the, is
0: east of San Diego County.
1: Yeah, yeah. In Southern California. So during the grape growing season- Sure. Which is the summer months, they had a bunch of growers in Mexico under contract. And he had a small plane down there. He wanted somebody to go down and fly around, fly, fly him around and whatever. I said, sure, I, I, I can do that so I went down to Mexico and spent a a long summer I I speak a little Spanish and uh, I went from just ferrying him around to going out doing quality control work and landing in dirt roads and cow trails and and in in, in an industry I knew absolutely nothing about but I gained a lot of hours a lot of experience flying and uh, unfortunately the, the company went under not long after that and I uh, was offered a job in Los Angeles with the wholesale produce company on the on the LA produce market, and I had gotten married. First big mistake, or not maybe not the first, but <laughs> right up there. Um, so I had to get a job. I took it, and um, long story short, that parlayed into about a thirty-year career. Uh, that I retired from in 2006. Well, at
2: one
0: point when we reconnected, you
1: had the best almonds in town.
0: <laughs> I remember getting the, the different almonds and fruits and stuff from me. Yeah. Whenever we connected, the price was right and the stuff was great. Well, I
1: ended up working for a, a distributor and a packer and a shipper of a dry fruit and nut products. and um, it, was, it was interesting.
0: Absolutely. They kept you busy. I know you you weren't sitting around letting any grass grow on your no, ass. It
1: was fairly lucrative.
0: So then at uh, some point, the first marriage ends, you're single again, and at some point at the Special Operations Association. Not yet. Not yet? Okay.
1: <laughs> I, had a, I had a second marriage. Oh,
2: oh, oh, I forgot about that one. Okay.
1: To my favorite bartender. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> First one lasts about a year and a half. Second one lasts about eight months. But <laughs> you had two good drinks in between. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that fizzled. And um, in 98, 99. Right around here. Yeah, 2000.
0: We right? had a couple of events to at. Special Operations Association Reunions yeah. and there's a couple years we uh, had programs for our POWs MIAs and
1: uh, Gold Star events well I think Jim Butler might have been he, he found uh, well uh, my, my wife's as you know my wife Karen's brother was uh, killed in action yes sir uh, uh, on a recon operation in Vietnam on his uh, 23rd birthday in uh, May of
2: 1971
1: yes sir uh the SOA invited his mother, sister, good friend, two sisters, good friend to a sort, to a reunion in Vegas. Right. And they came. And um, his one sister is a very attractive lady, and uh, she and I hit it off as it turned out. Indeed. Uh, making a long story short, we've been married, we've been together 22 years now. Wow. So, that was a good wedding you had. It was a hell of a wedding. <laughs>
0: Indeed. And so, um, so part of the, the – um, there's so many other things you've been involved in. You've been involved in Special Operations Association, for, which, again, was formed by men, expanded to include all the air assets that we could <clears throat> confirm that worked with the, the teams on the ground, and, of course, there's those times when we have events that acknowledge those that didn't come home, those we've lost, and uh, the Gold Star families are always at the top of anything we remember or salute in our own small way. Yeah. And you, heck, you were president at least twice on the board of directors for long terms. And, uh, like I said earlier, I remember you holding together the reunion when everybody's coming together, oh, and yeah. you're the only guy behind the counter pulling your hair out, keeping things going back in those days. And then at some point, um, you moved to North Carolina, got involved with the SFA, where you were an executive director for at least nine years, right? Or was it 10? Uh, or did my math is four, bad.
1: 14. 14? I
0: think around
2: 14. That long? <clears throat> Whoa.
0: <laughs> and so then um, after 14 years of serving the SFA, being the – Glue that kept the, the board of directors together, in my humble opinion. I'm biased. Uh, then you and your sweetheart moved to Prescott, Arizona. We, we did. Today. And um, and any other little points along the way you want to bring out? If not, then we're getting pretty close to wrap-up time, sir.
1: Well, you mentioned our, our wedding was, uh, it you, was that you phenomenal. attended. Indeed. Uh, while working for this company in Los Angeles, uh, one of our perks was membership at the Los Angeles Athletic Club which uh, I jumped on and uh, got back in some decent shape and met some interesting people who are still friends with today. We had some great meetings up there, too.
0: Our SFA chapter came up a few times for meetings that you put together or helped yeah. sponsor at the club.
1: Yeah. Uh, had Billy Walker come out and give his little talk one time. That's and- right. He
0: had his whole do-rag <laughs> <Yeah>. thing on, <laughs> talking about his time in the mountains in the and, Afghanistan.
1: Uh, I was actually uh, elected to the the uh, we had a uh, a member uh, uh, advisory board of governors that advised the management on what members wanted, et cetera, et cetera. I was actually elected to that board, served for six years, and my final year I was the chairman of the board, and I was quite proud of that. And I was the only one without at least an MBA a <laughs> high school education. Yeah, but the only one with a
0: Purple Heart, CIB, and, and a Silver Star. At least, yes, indeed. <laughs>
1: well earned. Yeah, we might add. But that was fun, and we, we were married there, and it was a it was the very nice event. Indeed, it was. All right, sir. Anything else as we uh, close out here? I
0: can't think of anything unless
1: you want to ask me something.
0: Um, no, you. The two big things, that's why we invited you is because in SOG history, you participated in two major moments in time. And uh, thank you for coming out and joining us tonight. And with that, we'll wrap it up. As always, we thank Jocko Willing Productions for making these SOG casts available, for sponsoring us to make them happen, and to bring our stories to the public. As always, we thank the veterans and the service members today are serving our country near, far, and wide, and our prayers are with them always. We thank our first responders, the Border Patrol, particularly during these times. We have to support them, and they continue to pray for our country as we move forward. And as we close out, we thank veterans particularly, men like Cliff Newman, who served our country for a long time with great valor and distinction, and we thank him for joining us today. And as always, when we close our shows, We want to remember those who couldn't make it today. Amen. Airborne.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies
2: as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it.